University of Missouri-St. Louis College of Education podcast. Hello and welcome. My name is David Stouffer and I get to be the recruitment coordinator for the UMSL College of Education. Each week on this podcast, we will meet an innovator in the field of education. We will spend some time getting to know them and learning about their work and how it can help you and yours. It is my sincere hope that this podcast will be a source of encouragement and support as you work to continue impacting lives as an educator. My guest today is Dr. Jerome E. Morris. Dr. Morris is the E. Desmond Lee Endowed Professor of Urban Education in conjunction with the St. Louis Public Schools, and he directs the Race, Class, Place, and Outcomes Interdisciplinary Research Group at the University of Missouri, St. Louis. Recently, the University of Missouri St. Louis Black Faculty and Staff Association, established in 1983, named its public lecture series after Dr. Morris. Moreover, Dr. Morris received the very distinct honor of being named a 2022 American Educational Research Association Fellow. Before joining the faculty of UMSL, Dr. Morris was a full professor in the College of Education and a research fellow at the University of Georgia's Institute for Behavioral Research. Welcome, Dr. Morris. Thanks for being part of the UMSL College of Education podcast. Thank you, David. I'm glad to be here. It's our pleasure, uh, Dr. Morris. Um, I'm interested, would you share a little bit about your journey uh, from your work at the University of Georgia and how you came to be with us now at the University of Missouri-St. Louis? Oh, definitely. I'll be happy to share. One of the things um, is important to note that I've took this position here at the University of Missouri-St. Louis in 2015. And you know, during that time, there was a a lot of attention focused on St. Louis due to the death of Michael Brown. And so one of the things that really put St. Louis again into the spotlight, but also really refocused me in terms of the kind of work that I do and made me think more deeply about the work that I do in the places where I would like to be. I'm always reminded of this statement by Dr. W.E.B. Du Bois, who talked about um, doing the research in the places where your work is best needed, as well as um, being in close proximity to the spaces or the places where you want to do your work. And so my work really is around urban education. And so this position was the E. Desmond Lee Endowed Professorship of Urban Education. And it was an opportunity for me to go back to, into that space. So you mentioned the University of Georgia. Yes, I was there 18 years, believe it or not. And I went there and it's a research one university, but it's out in the, sometimes people may say outskirts of town, not really in the city. So in these college towns, it's a traditional college town. And so for me, I really needed to be in a place that allowed me to best think about my work, not urban, I mean, not suburban or rural, but urban. And I come out of that experience. So I was born in Birmingham, Alabama, grew up in what people call the inner city, lived in public housing, raised in public housing in Birmingham. And so 
the first 20 plus years of my life was in public housing. And so one of the things, and I also I went to, and this is predominantly black public housing. Birmingham is very racially segregated, isolated, like St. Louis in many ways. And then the other thing too, I went to schools that were K through 12, all black schools. And all the educators had, that basically taught me were African-American educators. So I came up through that experience. And so that experience was really formative in terms of my thinking intellectually, opportunities that I've had. I really was amazed and appreciative of how these opportunities in this space were still there and people really cultivated, nurtured me, supported me, guided me along the way. And so that really is the beginning or the genesis of my urban educational experience that, and why I thought this position was very appropriate in terms of the work that I had done. And so I had been at the University of Georgia doing work in suburban spaces, not directly working with schools the way I wanted to, particularly urban schools, urban schools that had really deep vestiges of inequality. And so I wanted to get back into that space and so St. Louis represented an opportunity for that. And so I moved here with the intention of re-engaging with some of the work that I had done years before. And so I took this position here in 2015. But there's another point I want to make too, and that is um, back in the 1990s, I had done a PhD at Vanderbilt University. And my dissertation focused on St. Louis. And so when I was in graduate school at Vanderbilt, I would drive back and forth from Nashville to St. Louis to collect data for my research. And so in many ways, this was a coming back to St. Louis. Fantastic. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm excited that you're here and we're all very glad that you're here and the work okay, you're great. doing. You mentioned that you're doing the, um, uh, the uh, professor of urban education. And I read that you work very closely with the St. Louis public school district in that role. Talk about that a little bit and how you support the, the local schools in the St. Louis area. And that was a very fascinating and attractive aspect to this position that quite often researchers who do the work that I do want to engage with communities and schools have to do that on the side. And we don't get credit from an institutional perspective, but with this position allowed, it allowed the opportunity for me to really have a hands-on experience with schools. And so I had done research, as I mentioned with, for my dissertation in St. Louis schools, but this, endowment is really about partnering. So I'm in a collaborative relationship with St. Louis Public Schools. Now, the other thing about St. Louis Public Schools is that we often think of urban as central in terms of inner city, but it is really morphed. The notion of urban is really expanded into the metropolitan areas. And so we have these areas in due to um, regional outward migration that are many are urban in many ways in terms of complexion, in terms of demographic um, dynamics. So that's one of the things that is going on here in the St. Louis region, and as well as throughout the United States. So for me, it was really, really important to not just be partnering only with St. Louis public schools. I mentioned to administration here that I, I had to develop, forge these, these relationships with other school districts like Jennings and Ferguson Florissant. So I am really in partnership with all of these districts. So not just St. Louis public schools. That's excellent. Um, and we desperately need that in our St. Louis area. And so I'm sure that they value those relationships uh, yes. very much. Um, 
Dr. Morris, you've been recognized for your work um, in theory of uh, communally bonded schooling uh, by being awarded the Lyle M. Spencer Research Award. Can you give us a little more information about that work and what that entails? Definitely. So the Lyle M. Sp- Lyle M. Spencer Research Award is really an ambitious awards program by the Spencer Foundation based in Chicago. And what they try to do is to really select some top scholars who have ambitious research plans about transforming education and thinking critically about it and have a a history of doing that kind of work. And so fortunately, I was one of the recipients in 2020 for that award. And it really was around understanding my theory of communally bonded schooling. Now, I'll just say a little bit about that. And that theory is really, um, it, it focuses on this history of African-American schooling and the ways in which historic Black schools were in, integrated or partnered with communities and families in ways that we've seen, that we've not seen today. And so in many ways, what we see is a fracturing of that symbiosis that once existed in terms of the relationships that Black people had with schools. And albeit during segregation, there were some things that were really powerful. And a lot of historians are really capturing that work. My work builds on that. And I did research in St. Louis and Atlanta that focused on exemplary schools that had some remnants or were reminiscent of what we saw historically. And I synthesized that work and I'm developing this theory called communally bonded schooling. In fact, um, I'm leading or developing a research project and um, we have a website called the Center for Communally Bonded Research. And it's an evolving project, just want to put that out there. Mm -hmm. And so this has been fascinating work. And what I'm doing is in my research team members, um, I have some colleagues, Dr. Jackie Lewis Harris is working with me on the project, and she's done a wonderful job connecting with communities here in St. Louis. Have a project manor, manager, Tennille Rose Martin, who is working with me. And so we are doing this work. And one of the things I'm unpacking, I'm really trying to think about how do we rekindle some aspects of communally bonded schooling. And it's, re- it's about thinking about schooling in an ecosystem way, not just about how do you improve the education of one child or how do you improve the education of a school. My work is about how do we create an ecosystem that advances the education, particularly of African-American students who are low income. And my work is more about that Mm -hmm. than anything. So you started a lot of your research, you mentioned back in Vanderbilt before you joined us here at University of Missouri, St. Louis, and you came to Umsel in 2015. So you've had a lot, you've, you've had a lot of exposure to the education system and the uh, issue of race and diversity in the St. Louis area for many, yes, many I years have. now. What do you see from when you started your research to where we are now? How are we doing? Are we growing? Um, I'm sure there's obviously a lot of work to do, but what's your perception of St. Louis now? One of the things I've seen is, and I didn't realize that when I was back here from 1994 to 97, and then came this more work up to around 2001, I didn't think things were going to unravel at the, the ways in which they did. So, for example, some of the schools, one of the schools that I had done some work in years ago, it was Farragut Elementary School. And I, I wrote a book called 
troubling the waters, fulfilling the promise of quality public schooling for Black children. And that school was the basis of the book, or one of the key schools featured in the book, although I didn't name it. But now the school has been closed. Hmm. And at that point, the school was the highest performing elementary school for Black children in the city of St. Louis, including magnet schools. Now the school is closed due to a number of forces, depopulation of the area. One of the culprits has been the um, desegregation plan, which moves students away, restructuring of schools. So there are myriad of forces contributed to the decimation or the decline of the school. And so I didn't realize I was doing something or capturing a moment in time. And a lot of times people wonder, well, why are schools the way they are? I said, I always say, well, how do we stop what's happening? So as we speak and as we talk about this, there are some things that are undermining what's going on. And some too often we can we consider these to be unintended consequences. My argument is that if we think deeply about what happens and take into account certain racial inequalities and entrenched systems, then we pretty much can predict what would occur. And so I'm suggesting that let's be thorough in our analysis. Let's offer a robust, robust analysis so we can minimize the deleterious consequences that will occur. And so I find myself in that space today, having to in some ways, think prophetically about the work that I do and how do we stop the harm that has been done? And, and sometimes people always want to point to individuals. And I try to say, no, there are people who are in places, but there are places or people working and playing a role in a structure in such a way that will lead to the consequences that we get. So what I looked at is um, the, the project that I have with the Spencer Foundation is about countering the unintended consequences of school reforms, countering them. Mm -hmm. And so that's the kind of aim of the work. We have some very powerful research questions, and but it's also about not just how do you research something, how do you um, make what is better used to research in a way that enhances the experiences of the people that it was intended to benefit. You're also the former president, Dr. Morris, of the Black Faculty and Staff Association here at UMSL. Um, and now you have a lecture series uh, uh, organization named after you. Congratulations. Thank you um, very much. Talk a little bit about your work with the BFSA uh, and how it impacts uh, education in the St. Louis area. Well, one of the things is that the Black Faculty and Staff Association is a powerful organization on campus. And I was honored to serve as the president for a couple of terms. And at the time when I became president, the organization was struggling a little bit. And I realized that I had experiences and I had been the president of the Black faculty and staff organization at the University of Georgia back in 1999 to 2001. I was an assistant professor. And most of my senior African-American colleagues there told me, don't ever become a president of an organization where you're an assistant professor. That's not good advice. So I said, well, I have to be me. I'm Jerome Morris, I have to do it the way I do it. And so I was able to learn and we were very instrumental with that organization in terms of developing community, 
um, supporting staff and faculty matters, pushing for the Office of Institutional Equity and Diversity at the University of Georgia. I was one of the founders of the proposal. I wrote the proposal with a couple of other colleagues and that office is in existence right now. So I understood who I was and what I could bring in terms of helping the organization and really creating a structure institutionally that supports staff and faculty and students as a result at historically white universities. And so I've really see, I see these kinds of organizations as instrumental to broader issues of equity, because when Black people go into these opportunities, we often bring others with us. And so you will, you will generally see that issues being raised by African-American people first, and then others follow suit or model what they're doing after what we've done. Similarly, I brought that ethos or these values or this way of thinking to UMSO after having these numerous experiences. And, and I saw a similar need for an organization here. There were some colleagues who had the organization in existence, but I came in with um, an energy, excitement, and I brought that into it and was so delighted. And I really felt honored that the Black Faculty and Staff Association here at UMSO decided to honor me that way. I was extremely shocked because I thought that people got honored like this when they either retired or died. So, and I don't see myself going down anytime soon here. And so, hopefully not. Hopefully no, not. I didn't. So, but I was honored. And the other thing too, the organization has had some outstanding leaders. I wasn't the first, and I won't be the last. So, I always think about people like we have some unsung heroes: Dr. Paulette Isaac Savage, sustained the organization; Dr. Shirley Williams, um, social work; Sherry Hyken. Um, Harry Harry's um, number of people who have really been instrumental. And so I don't just take credit. Now, we've had a lot of great people, Dr. Vanessa Gary. I can just name names because I think it's important to understand that as a leader, when you're leading, that there are so many other people who are really providing that foundation for you. Mm-hmm. And But honestly, David, I was shocked that... <laughs> they decided to name this after me, but I thank them in terms of recognizing, I felt honored, just as honored or more honored than all these other awards I've received. Why? Because, you know, your community that you hold dearly recognize you. It's like family recognizing you. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the greatest achievements for me personally. And then, um, so I'm also happy to receive anything else, other awards. (laughs) Of course, of course. So I'm interested in seeing if, if, you, if you've noticed uh, a, a correlation between mm-hmm. the work you've done with the Black faculty uh, and staff associations at the, at the varying universities you've worked with and how that impacts enrollment with students of color and, and Black students at the universities. Because that's clearly a, a, a very strong um, desire of the University of Missouri-St. Louis is to increase our diversity within our student body as well as our faculty and staff. Do you see any kind of correlation there or results of your work in that area in, in the in yes the that, of there's a strong correlation one of the things that about i'm going to connect my research the spencer grant and key element of the spencer grant is this notion of feeling connected the connectedness i call it 
there are psychologists and scholars doing work around sense of belonging. And so you're hearing that as a buzzword now. And one of the things that is going on when I think about this work here is that Follow me with, if you think about the desegregation work when I was telling you about it, one of the things that happened with desegregation in terms of the way it was implemented, desegregation was, could be a great thing, but it was implemented in a lopsided manner. And that is black students were moved or bused into predominantly white schools, black schools were generally closed, black educators never were received or never followed children. And so you have a desegregation of the student body by bringing black students in, but no desegregation of the staff or the faculty. And that is a really placing black children at a major disadvantage, no matter how we, you unpack that, it's a disadvantage. Similarly, universities have to be more aggressive and deliberate with, and or intentional, however way we think about it, in terms of recruitment of black faculty. They use this broad term, people of color. I'm going beyond people of color. I'm saying black faculty and staff. And the retention, why? Because it's not enough to say, let's diversify the student body. And then the students are not part of an ecosystem that is supporting them in every manner. You have to have a diverse staff and faculty. That would be more equitable. So, so I, I think this goes hand in hand, very similar to my work around desegregation. A lot of people don't think about it like that. So you then find where you have black children in predominantly white spaces and you don't have black adults, then you always have to think about, well, how do we promote anti-racism? Maybe if you have the adults following them, there's less of a need to have that framework driving what you do, connected to the higher education experience. If you have African-American faculty who are more likely going to come from those experiences culturally, I'm not going to say always, just more likely, and also are doing work, engaging issues around equity and race. If you have those faculty, then the students feel a sense of belonging and they can randomly go to a professor and say, hey, can you help me with this? I'm not saying that everything has to be like a historically black college, that's not my point. But my point is that don't just get the children, also get the adults with the children. That's my number one point. But if you want to support um, young people's development. That's a, it's a, you're, you're, you have a unique perspective that is, is, is comes from, I'm sure a lot of experience and a lot of wisdom, but that is so true. And something yeah. I never, I never, I never considered. Well, the that, way I think amazing. about it, David, the way I think about it is I think about the whole notion of education, broadly speaking, and I think about education across time and education of humans. Humans generally were um, educated or taught by people who were familial, so families or, and, or familiar. And so you had this notion of educators being from the community, the village, or wherever, the, the religious structure or you know, the faith system. That's how education of humans have, has occurred for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. But we're in a modern sense, modern system, and it's one that had, is, is really laden with um, tension, racial tension and racial animosity. And so when you have a cultural mismatch, so to speak, then you're not able to have that familial 
model of educating young people. White people know that. That's why white people, uh, many white edu white families pull their children out when desegregation was implemented, particularly if their children had to go to predominantly black schools or were being taught by black teachers. As a whole, white people really resisted black teachers teaching their children. So I'm not saying you get to a model in which you have this race matching black or white, black teachers and black children and white teachers and white children. What I'm saying is that there would have to be familial connections for young people in the ecosystem of education. You are the uh, co-founder also, Dr. Morris, of the Education Liberation Network. Um, I think we've mentioned that perhaps in the conversation so far, but tell us a little bit more about that, uh, that organization. Education for Liberation is a national network. It's not an organization. It's a network of activists, a network of families, parents, educators, researchers like myself, you know, a lot of different people. And about 20, back in 2001, around that time, a lot, of, um, a lot of us got together and realized the need for something that was about um, supporting families and young people and educators beyond research conferences, beyond um, traditional civil rights organizations. And what we wanted to do was we wanted to bring a lot of people together at the table. And so in doing that, a number of us from the East Coast, West Coast, Deep South, Upper North, we all got together and we met in Atlanta, Georgia, and we formed an organization. I was really spearheading the Southern part, and there are people in different parts. And so it's more of a network. It still is in existence, and it's a wonderful group. And I see a lot of young scholars, young community people are really engaged with it. And I'm glad to see the work that we did back then continue. And so that's, that's the way I see it. But it's not an organization, it's a network. And there are conferences that take place, and I'm, it's just wonderful just to see it being sustained the way it is um when do you have time for uh anything outside of all the work you're doing everything we've talked about is just amazing and uh you're involved in so many things and um initiating and pioneering so many things it's amazing so um Thank i'm you. amazed um I'm, and i'm honored that you chose to join me today for the podcast dr morris well, very honored to be able to work with you at the University of Missouri St. Louis and all the work you do. Thank you for your passion for education and for your leadership and uh, for being on our being on our team at Umso. So thank you. Thank you, David. And the way I find time is that I try to have a good routine, daily mm -hmm. routine. You know, you have to um, get your mind and your body in sync. And so I try to do those things that support that. And so that's the way I think about it. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I appreciate you being here with us. Uh, thank you very much. Anyone who uh, is interested in learning more about Dr. Morris, um, the University of Missouri St. Louis website, uh, what was the uh, website that you mentioned that you have with uh, some of your organizations and some of your initiatives? Center for Communally Bunded Research. There it is. Center. Just put that in. You can put my name in. Jerome Morris, and you will see um, some of the projects that we're leading. 
couple of projects, the Spencer Grant that we mentioned before, as well as a grant from the Deaconess Foundation mm -hmm. about amplifying the voices of African-Americans who were affected by COVID during the COVID era. So mm -hmm. there's a lot going on right now. I know we didn't touch on that, but um, my work is addressing that in ways, mm -hmm. especially with community-based organizations here in the St. Louis area. Mm -hmm. And there's something else I'm doing, some STEM work possibly, around that too, working with these community-based organizations here. Excellent. If anyone uh, wants to learn more about Dr. Morris, you can always reach out to me um, and I can definitely get you connected. My uh, email is D-A-S-T-O-F-E-R, D-A-Stofer at umsel.edu. My phone number, 314-243-0773. Dr. Morris, thank you so much for joining me today at the uh, Umsel College of Education podcast. Thank you, David Stouffer. I am honored that you chose to join me today for the University of Missouri St. Louis College of Education podcast. I hope you'll join me next time. Till then, I'm David Stouffer. Thank you for the work you do. Never forget, you are making a difference every day. Every day.